Going beyond the headlines? Getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Brett House, uh, Deputy Chief Economist at Scotiabank, joining us today. Hello, Mr. House. Hi, good day. How are you? I'm doing well, uh, but a little concerned when I read the synopsis from your report saying that when we look at these escalating trade disputes involving the U.S., it could knock North American economies into a recession. Give me a little bit of background here, Brett, on how we would get to that point. Well, you know, it's a bit like the federal government says, we we assume and work for the best, but we prepare for the worst as well. And what I want to emphasize is that the core baseline, most probable scenario we have ahead is not a full-on trade war. We, we do think the NAFTA negotiations will come to a benign or constructive conclusion sometime this year or early next year. That's longer than anyone thought they would take, except for a few of ourselves who went through negotiations on NAFTA back in the 90s or CETA, the European Trade Agreement, or the Trans-Pacific Partnership, all of which took far, far, far longer. So, you know, we we shouldn't feel badly about the fact that it's taken 10 months to get to the point we're in now. Uh, That's really completely normal. Um, And we think there's some usefulness served by some of the unpleasantness from the G7 weekend in Quebec and the steel and aluminum tariffs that came in because we think it's really woken up politicians, business leaders, and other opinion leaders in the U.S. to start pushing back on some of the protectionist moves by the White House. So that's why we think, you know, our baseline is that we won't see an escalation in protectionism, but we wanted to run the numbers to see if we prove wrong, and we think the probability of that is low, what would the cost to Canada, the United States, and Mexico be? Right, you almost have to have the worst-case scenario, I think, sometimes for whether it be the politicians or those at the negotiating table to have their eyes opened as well, saying, where are we heading? Yeah, that's exactly right. It sharpens the mind when you see that if we let this spiral out of control, if the U.S. goes ahead and puts in the auto tariffs that they've threatened, it really would invite most of the country's major trading partners to respond in kind with tariffs not just on U.S. automobiles but on a range of other goods that would quickly move us away from the rules-based trading system we've built over the last 70 years or so. Do we have to, though, see some type of tariffs? Uh, I mean, I know it sounds like the U.S. is going so far when it comes to protectionism, but we have had tariffs on a number of goods for many years. And as you say, that's how you kind of work out these trade deals and just trying to figure out where that, that sweet spot is that you're not going to send another country's economy into a recession. Well, the thing is, actually, tariffs have come down a lot over the last few decades in particular. The international system that we've built under the World Trade Organization has worked pretty well. We've seen what are known as the most favored nation tariffs, which are the duties that countries charge when they don't have a free trade agreement in place with one of their trading partners come down substantially, not just for Canada, but most countries in the world. And you know where they've dropped the most? They've dropped the most in China. China has lowered its trade barriers a lot since it came into the WTO at the beginning of the 21st century. So the system's actually working pretty well to make trade freer in many respects. And, you know, the notion that we have to have tariffs isn't borne out by, uh, you know, our experience with the trade agreements we put in place 
99% of our trade with the United States goes back and forth right now tariff-free. That's been a pretty good deal for all three countries. Well, and I think when you say that, a, a lot of people wonder then why is, it's not just Trump, but why is the White House, the U.S., even going down this road? Is I mean, I'm the cynic, and I think it's because protectionism sounds good in your own country that you're going to protect jobs and everything else. But ultimately, it's a high cost to be able to fulfill that kind of a promise. Yeah, it's one of the funny things. In our personal lives, we really get the notion of free trade. We get the idea that we don't want to have to provide every single one of our needs for ourselves uh, in our own home. You know, uh, we might want to go out and get someone else to make our suit or to, you know, cut our grass or to provide us like food because we're maybe working in a bank during the day, you know, but then we have a hard time taking that insight that specializing in the few things you do well and trading for the rest of the things that you need works really well on an individual level and applying it at the national or international level. People don't seem to buy it. Like deep down, economists like me haven't really convinced most people that trade is a good thing that works for them. So that's something we've got to keep working on. And you're right. Protectionism often sounds like an easy, no harm solution that will bring jobs back home, make things easier for people. And it almost always does the reverse. And the pain of protectionism almost always falls on low-income households more firmly than on richer ones. I love the analogy about, well, yeah, I hire someone to do this or I go out and buy groceries. I don't make everything myself. So, I mean, that does make sense. And and when you talk about easier, ultimately, though, it's more expensive as well uh, for the consumer. Yeah, if you put up a lot of uh, tariff walls, you end up charging people more for all the things they consume. It adds costs and friction into the process of creating those things. So, you know, the spiral of greater expense gets bigger and bigger. It isn't just one round, but multiple rounds of expenses being added in. How do you go about then, Brett, as you say, just trying to paint a picture? Because... Um, when we talk about trade wars, it, it goes from charging more for maple syrup to charging more <laughs> for steel. I mean, it's so broad. So how do you run the numbers just to get an idea of what we could be headed into? Well, you know, we run a bunch of models, which are a whole series of equations that try to represent all the interactions and relationships in an economy like Canada's at a very high-level, aggregate level. You know, it's not trying to model individual households, but more like how does investment work in the country? How are businesses as a whole in major sectors working? How does that translate into growth and higher prices? And what does it do to our exchange rate? And where does the government fit into all of that? So we introduced to that, you know, a few assumptions about what kind of goods are going to be hit by tariffs, how much of, like, average output in a year they account for, and what proportion of spending that they represent. And that's how we start, you know, running the model again with those frictions in place to try to understand how much growth gets dented in the process. What impact does it have on the Bank of Canada and interest rates, on inflation and prices, and where does the Canadian dollar go as a result? Mm. 
All right. So uh, spell it out for my listeners then. If you are saying, what's the worst case scenario? We uh, NAFTA, we can't get a NAFTA deal. We we start to see massive tariffs um, imposed both from the U.S. and then the tit for tat from Mexico and Canada. Yeah. So right now, you know, the U.S. brought in these steel and aluminum tariffs uh, at the beginning of June. And it's really important to underscore that the pain of those tariffs falls almost entirely on American industry and American consumers. Because the pain of a tariff depends a little bit on whether, when you put it in place, local producers can start substituting and gaining market share from the imports that were previously coming in. And the thing is, steel and aluminum were probably two of the worst sectors to choose for that to be the case. case of aluminum, the United States depends on imports for 60 to 70% of the aluminum products that they consume, and 40% of those imports come from Canada. In the case of steel, about 16% of their imports come from Canada, and many of the products they import, they don't make in the United States, and it would take years of investment to build up the capacity to replace the imports. So what this means, it's a little bit like softwood lumber, where the U.S. has slapped some tariffs on our logs. And they need every single one of our logs to rebuild houses in California that burned in their wildfires, to rebuild houses in Texas that were inundated by the floods around the hurricane. And you've seen an increase in the price of homes simply because of timber of $9,000 on average over the last year because of those tariffs. Steel and aluminum is already proving to be the same thing. The problem for Canada is a lot of our manufacturing uses intermediate inputs from the United States. And so, you know, when the cost of those go up, it hurts the United States, but also hurts us a bit because we use a lot of their goods in our supply chains, and that makes us less competitive too. So that's why you get some negative effects on both sides of the border. And then ultimately, does that lead, well, to higher prices, but to maybe lost jobs if steel and aluminum producers are facing higher costs? Well, that's that's the thing. We're not anticipating a lot of losses. I mean, there may be some specific ones in a few communities and firms in Canada, but because the U.S. can't substitute some of the stuff we send them, it's probably going to remain the case that our exports stay at a similar volume to where they've been into the U.S., mm. but those prices go up. Mm. And the last time the U.S. put steel tariffs in, in 2002, a number of estimates show that they lost more jobs in downstream industries that use steel than the number of people employed in the entire steel industry in the U.S. In downstream jobs? Yeah. They lost over 200,000 jobs in manufacturing industries that use steel, that craft it into goods uh, or parts for other products. And, you know, there were only about 180,000 people employed in the steel industry to begin with. So if your priority is creating or retaining jobs, there are many more efficient ways of doing so than slapping tariffs on. If we continue down this road then, um, as we, you know, don't know the latest, what's going to happen when it comes to the escalating trade war, where do you see Canada's economy heading uh, when we talk about GDP growth? Yeah, so we're expecting growth on you know, the current set of conditions just north of 2% this year and next year, which is not, you know, blow the lights out like headline writing growth, but it's really pretty solid. And the thing to keep in mind, we're at the 
point now where we are in the second longest expansion in North American history, and in July 2019, it will become the longest expansion that we've ever had. And the way you keep long expansions going is by doing boring, unremarkable things like 2% growth with inflation contained around 2%. Uh, If we see the U.S. put in auto tariffs, our big concern that we laid out in the paper we just did was that um, auto tariffs would be very hard for other countries to resist escalating the situation into a much bigger trade war because countries like those in the European Union, Canada, Japan, faced with tariffs on our automobiles, we would respond not just with tariffs on autos, but probably on a range of other goods too. And then you start really breaking down or at least ignoring a lot of the rules of governed trade for the last 60, 70 years or so. And so even if you're talking about auto tariffs, then vehicles are going to be more expensive. Consumers probably won't be buying them. Like I, you talk about downstream yeah. effect. That's such an obvious one that would be very frightening. Yeah. So the auto industry alone, when you consider autos and parts production and then the wholesale and retail sales structures around them, account for nearly a half a million jobs in Canada. And if you slap a 25% tariff on Canadian automobiles, which the U.S. has threatened to do, uh, if we respond in kind, that's going to mean, on average, about 11% increase in the cost of cars. You're going to see people shifting to holding their cars for a longer amount of time, moving into the used car market, and they're going to be big after effects, as you say, ricocheting through all of those sectors. But yeah, go the, ahead. Well, the, you know, the thing we'd emphasize, if we... If we don't go down that path, we do see growth holding in pretty pretty decently for the next four or five years. If instead the auto tariffs come in and things do escalate, as you highlighted at the top, uh, we could see Canada, Mexico, and the United States going into recession in 2020 under an all-out trade war. Mm. And one of my point uh, listeners pointing out that Trump doesn't have anything against trade. It's this trade deficit that the U.S. has with a country like China that he wants to rectify. But that means then that countries like Canada and Mexico, are, are they caught in the crosshairs of that? Yeah, there. I mean, there are a lot of things going on at the same time. There's no question. The big reason the United States has an overall trade deficit with the world to begin with is that it consumes more than it saves. Mm -hmm. And the United States can't do anything. It's a mathematical certainty that it cannot eliminate its trade deficit until it starts saving more. And so until it wants to make that decision in its domestic policy, there are no changes to the trade rules that it can write that will eliminate its overall trade deficit. So the solution to their problem, if that's their big goal, eliminating that trade deficit, has to start at home. So ultimately, as you say, this is the worst case scenario. Let's hope that cooler heads prevail, that we actually are able to work through the differences when it comes to especially NAFTA and that we have an agreement by the end of this year, early next year. Yeah. And, you know, I think to help that come about, every Canadian needs to reach out to the Americans they know, the Americans they work with, 
the business partners or clients that they've got and enlist them in this process. Because as good as the diplomacy has been from our federal government and provincial and even municipal partners going down to you know emphasize to people all over the U.S. the good things that come out of NAFTA for them, uh, the U.S. protectionist pressure coming out of the White House is only going to be rolled back, I think, from domestic U.S. pressure. And that really takes all of us doing what we can to mobilize that. And that's why I think in the end, while the G7 was kind of unpleasant and the steel and aluminum tariffs truly are insulting, they may have done a good thing in awakening U.S. pressure points to start pushing back on the White House and stopping us from going into that trade war scenario. Are there other sectors that are just as volatile or concerned? You know, you talked about the auto sector, you know, steel, aluminum. Are there other sectors that um, are just as concerned about what's happening if this trade war escalates? Well, you know, softwood lumber has been an area of uh, real tension between the United States and Canada for years. It isn't actually covered by NAFTA. We go in and out of having an agreement on our trade. Mm -hmm. Then it lapses, and the U.S. slaps tariffs on for a few years. They're found illegal at the WTO, and then they unwind them. Uh, So that's an area that we could see worsen. Uh, Agriculture is an area that the current president has mentioned several times as a matter of concern for him. Uh, And, you know, manufacturing more generally is an area where we would likely see uh, threats if, if things were to escalate. Well, let's hope uh, this doesn't come through as far as the worst-case scenario. We will obviously watch it very closely. Brett, thanks so much for your input on this one. Thank you.